Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Please welcome the Weekly Standard's own New York Times bestselling author, Daniel Halper. His new book is Clinton, Inc. Daniel, how's it going up there on the book-selling campaign trail? Well, it's going great. Uh, I'm very happy, and I was happy to learn yesterday that I would be a New York Times bestseller. It's going to come as a surprise to readers of the New York Times because there's been basically a media blackout on this book. Uh, Readers of the New York Times will have no idea that this book is out or that or anything that's in it or uh or do their editors or their reporters think that it's worth them knowing anything about it so i'm excited i'm sure that they'll be shocked or at least surprised before we get to the interesting reaction to the book what's interesting to me about it is is there have been a lot of interesting books about bill clinton and the clintons in general but your book takes a different tack it really is for lack of a better phrase about the business of being the clintons Right. I suggest that they basically have a two-part business, to to do well financially, which they have done, and to do well politically, which they have done. So it's a very successful business. It's structured, I suggest, like a business with two CEOs and a third emerging CEO in Chelsea Clinton. But it is a business, and they're, you know, they answer, they work like a business, and they answer to shareholders, if you will. Well, who are the shareholders for Clinton, Inc.? Well, they, you know, the foundation donors, uh, Clinton Global Initiative uh, partners, those are the nonprofits and whatnot and the big corporations that, that team up with the nonprofits. So they have like this big constituency uh, that they apparently have to answer to. And that's basically how it's structured, more or less, as they go on. I mean, it's going to change a little bit with the 2016 campaign, I would imagine. But I think, uh, I think, understanding it is is helpful to understanding where Hillary Clinton is headed in 2016. So if Clinton Inc. is a business, what are the roles of Bill versus Hillary? Is there a CEO and a CFO? Is it that kind of dynamic or is this a pure partnership? Is this Smith and Wesson? Yeah, I I suggest it's it's a pure partnership, more or less. Now, when when they leave the White House, Bill Clinton's primary goal is to raise a lot of money. Hillary's in the Senate, so her primary goal is to do well politically. There's a lot of overlap. You know, Hillary signs an $8 million book deal. Bill Clinton reaches out to plenty of Republicans and tries to repair those relationships when they leave. So there is... Uh, certainly a lot of overlap, and now that sh- now that they're both no longer in quote public service, uh, it, there is I think is m- more of a merger than there had been before as to as to duties, if you will. You know, you're one of the people who has uh, stepped up to acknowledge that from a certain technical standpoint, Hillary Clinton was right when she said that they were flat broke when they left the White House. But what is the Clinton Global Initiative estimated worth now, ballpark figure? Well, the, it's complicated because the Clinton Global Initiative is is actually not worth much of anything. It's basically a shell organization that brings in these rich CEOs to give money to nonprofits. So it's a convening organization. It's like an event planning organization. The money holder is the Clinton Foundation. That's worth several hundred million dollars easily. It helps pay for a lot of travel. They've spent over 50 to $60 million from that charitable uh, foundation to help with pay for for travel costs for themselves and and for those who work for them, uh, and also the third component is is just their personal wealth. When they give speeches, for the most part, the money just goes straight to their pockets. It's not, you know, it's not going to charitable causes or so-called charitable causes. It's filling their own coffers. So ballpark figure, how much money have the Clintons made since they were flat broke? 
Well, they've made at least $40 million writing books, ballpark. That's books alone. Right. They've made that. They have made uh, over $110 million in speeches alone. Bill Clinton, he, he can give a speech for $750,000. They average probably around $200,000, $250,000 for you know, an hour's, an hour's uh, hard work. So that, that brings in a lot of money. Now, they also have other consulting gigs. I talk about one of them in the book. They, Bill Clinton had a $3.5 million uh, contract with a consulting company. Eventually, it went sour because a lot of things with Bill Clinton tend to go sour when money's involved. But there are tons of money-making ventures that, that encompass Clinton, Inc. And so I don't know what their net worth is. They don't know what their net worth is, apparently, though they can, Hillary says she can give a ballpark number, but it's got to be over $150 million. And this is my point, is that we have the uh, Democratic Party, who has been very clear on their class warfare approach, on their, you know, get the top 1%, you know, occupy uh, 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 political uh, statements, strategy, ideology. And yet here they are on the verge of nominating a woman who's gone from, by her own words, zero to 200 million in a decade, specifically by catering to corporate global conglomerates. It's almost as if the Democrats are preparing to nominate the caricature of the person they've been attacking in politics for the past 10 years. Right. Well, you know, the, the, what it proves is that public service pays. It pays very, very well. The Clintons have shown that you can serve the public and then make millions off of it. You know, it's it's uh, it's really rewriting the rules of how politics are done, and that's what the Clintons have done the last twenty years. That's why I wrote the book. That's why I think it it's an at best I think it's an insight into American politics and how it works and how money is important. But you know, it used to be. And you still is, and to certain degrees, it helps to be rich in order to get into politics. Now, with the Clintons, it helps to go into politics in order to get rich. And do you think that the uh, Democratic primary voters are aware of that? Do they see it, and do they just overlook it, or do they not truly grasp just how big this corporate money-making machine is? Well, that's that's a key question. I, I'm not sure whether they care, because ultimately... Uh, Politics is nothing if you can't win an election. Ultimately, they've decided at this point, at least, and I think it's sort of soft support, but they've, you know, she's the prohibitive front runner, meaning they think that she's her, their best chance of winning the next election. They kind of don't want to see it, uh, even though it's there, but also, even if they, even those who do see it, they can live with it as long as it's not one of those evil Republicans who are money grubbing, you know, disgusting people. Uh, what role does Chelsea play in this? I was surprised at how much you write about Chelsea. I always think of her kind of as an afterthought. But you, if I understand you correctly, she's at or near the center of this Clinton Inc. machine. Yeah, look, uh, she has joined the family business and went, oh, just like any other family business, when a family member joins in, uh, they shoot to the top. They have say over longtime staffers, over longtime aides, and that's what Chelsea Clinton had. That's exactly what she's done. She decided she wanted to be part of the family business sometime around the 2008 campaign. She joined, and it really disrupts the way things have been running for the decade pre uh, preceding her entry. So it, it's important to understand Chelsea's role because it's important because it's a big challenge for them. They got to figure out whether or not, with her at the helm, 
her as a as a as the third this third emerging CEO at the helm whether or not uh, they can win whether or not they can have a a national presidential campaign that can win and I think that's a key test uh, that I'm not really sure how she overcomes it. You know I don't I haven't seen any you know other than far left commentators talking about your book as being kind of like a hatchet job and some of the personality driven stuff that we've seen you know come out in the past the the tell-alls and the kiss-alls etc um and yet despite that despite the fact that you write you know complimentary stuff and balance stuff about the clintons in clinton inc the team clinton seems to be working really overtime to try to kill interest in readership in your book starting from somebody leaking the entire book early to uh recent efforts by their former uh communications director yeah mike mccurry uh he called up politico recently to complain about my reporting keep in mind mike mccurry somebody who i spoke to uh for my book but apparently there's a bit of buyer's remorse and he told tells politico that he hardly remembers talking to me and that he did not write the book, that I did not write the book that he advised me to write, but instead I wrote an attack on Clinton and see that it's not a book that deserves to be re-reported by other news organizations. Politico uh, asked me to comment on it. I, I told Politico that Mike is proving one of my, the main points of my book, that if you cross Clinton, Inc., and if you're seen as betraying the company, then you pay a price. And I added that I'm sorry if Mike's paying a price for talking to me and that I wish him well. Politico decided that Mike's third point, that it's not a book that deserves to be re-reported, was correct, apparently, and decided not to report on this exchange, not to report on Mike McCurry's complaints about the book. And instead, the reporter decided not to do anything with, with that reporting, and he decided, for whatever reason, to pass. It is interesting how easy it is for the press to just not do things when it comes to the Clintons uh, to just not report stories and in the, particularly in the case of Hillary Clinton and her uh, time in public office the most written about and yet unexamined public figure of the modern era millions of words but virtually no investigation uncovering uh, you know reportage in the traditional sense but reporters are put in a little bit of a bind because they know that Hillary Clinton is going to run for president, and they know that they want also want a, a seat on that campaign plane. If they cover her hard, if they are t- too tough on her, forget it. They're not going to get in. They're not going to be able to sit on that cam- campaign plane. They're not going to get the exclusive interview with Hillary. It's a little bit of a dance that they're trying to play with her. They're trying to be nice, but you know, try to be tough but fair, you know, so people don't call them out for being nice. The result is that you're right, we don't have much of an insight into how these people work because these reporters are too scared about their access and their access is their livelihood, uh to do anything, to do anything remarkable, I think. Now, obviously, we want every Weekly Standard reader and podcast listener to go out and get a copy of Clinton, Inc. and hard copy or on Quint Kindle or whatever. But are there one or two things that as someone who you know, follows politics, write about politics, you learned about the Clintons that surprised you? That you're like, wow, I didn't even know that. Well, I can. I mean, just on a personal level, you come in. Obviously, you. I've heard about my subjects. I sort of knew a little bit about my subjects before starting to write the book. And you come in thinking that they're one way. I came in thinking that Bill Clinton is Bubba, this gregarious, emotive, you know, great guy to hang out with. And Hillary Clinton is cold and calculating and cunning. 
And I'm surprised to learn that people who know them think the opposite is closer to being true, that Hillary Clinton actually has real friends that she's had for decades. Bill Clinton doesn't. He's a loner. He's cold. He's sitting in the corner, you know, calculating his next move. So I, it, it just this general perception of them is wrong. And then you start to realize a lot of things that you think about them and, and you think you know about them are wrong as well. And it's weird because, back to the media question, it shows, I think, a failure of the media to accurately portray these people. Uh, and it wasn't like it was that hard to to come to this realization after a little bit of reporting that their that their commonly portrayed personalities are just so different and so and so opposite. So why are the media narratives so off base from the facts? That's a great question, I, I, and I don't really know the answer to it. I mean, part of it is pro- perhaps access. Part of it is people just sort of are, are they I, they tend to be sort of blind to things that are right in front of them. In a way, you get something in your head. And the rest of it, you know, you don't let the facts get in the way of, of your preconceived notions. Uh, I, you know, I came to this with the advantage of being young, I think, which actually was an advantage because it allowed me to not sort of be too uh, uh, dogmatic about, my, about the way I viewed the Clintons. And it allowed me to give – it gave me a little more flexibility in that regard because – I'm just younger. I, I've spent less time with the Clintons than some of these hardened reporters who, 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 you know, tend to sort of keep their mindset set and don't want to change. So the uh, ad that ran when Pre- she was running against President Obama about the three o'clock phone call, you know, that, that's been referenced quite a bit lately as the phone is ringing off the hook from Ukraine to Gaza to Syria to Iraq and there's no one there to answer it. How do you think Hillary Clinton really would answer that phone? Is she really a, you know, old style, whatever, you know, a Democrat, you know, the maybe Sam Nunn-esque, or is she the liberal that she appeared to be when Bill Clinton was uh, in the White House? If the call comes from, you know, some trouble spot around the world, what is a Hillary Clinton answer? Well, I think there's two ways of looking at that. One is, when the call actually did come in Benghazi and her reaction there, and it doesn't appear that she did everything that she could to prevent, you know, to, to save the men in Benghazi. Now, it's obviously not her fault necessarily because a terrorist attack, bad things happen, but the phone call did come, and where was she? She she was checked out. And so the question now, the, the second point, the question now is, has she learned anything from that? Because if she's learned from that, then maybe she would be a better person to answer the phone. But if that's indicative of how she is and how she reacts in situations like that, well, then I think that's problematic. And I think, uh, I think people wouldn't want her to be near that phone at three in the morning or any time. One last question for you, Daniel Halper, the new book, uh, Clinton Inc. Congratulations, New York Times bestseller. What is your favorite Clinton joke, anecdote, story, whatever that you have come across, you know, as a political creature now, writing about, listening to, talking to folks about the Clintons? Well, that's a, that's a tough, tough question because there's a lot of funny ones. They do sort of these outrageous things. Uh, I guess I, one of the questions that people always ask is, is there a lot of love between the Clintons? You know, I don't know what happens uh, between the pillows, between the Clintons and, uh, and their pillow talk. But I, I did ask a, a friend, an old friend of Hillary's, I said, how does this relationship work? I mean, he is 
famously unfaithful, and yet she's always standing by her man. How does that work? And he, he said, well, they both, it's easy. They both love the same thing. So well, what do you mean? He said, well, she loves Bill Clinton. She thinks the world of Bill Clinton, and she absolutely adores Bill Clinton, and Bill Clinton loves Bill Clinton. He thinks the world of Bill Clinton and absolutely, absolutely adores Bill Clinton. So I think that was pretty funny and, and, and actually a pretty insightful comment into their uh, partnership, if you will. The book is Clinton, Inc. Daniel Halper, thanks so much for joining us for this Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.